Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Anytime soon 
to be able to afford to access land or the means with which to make that land productive. So value-added products were, for me, the lowest cost entry point to be um, an active participant in the food system. Um, So four years later, we're just getting around to considering ourselves viable candidates for getting on some land sometime in the next 18 months, hopefully. Now, um, so you're good at business, and beyond just cooking, uh, it seems like a really solid tactic for other farmers to know about um, is what you are describing here, this tactic of building a business around value closer to the consuming end and with a very strong cash flow model in and out. Let's talk about your business and how it's scaling and, and how that sets you up for the next phase. Right. So I think um hard to speak to this laconically, but I'll do my best. So there's um from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So looking around I realized um there's a lot of things that either weren't getting made or weren't getting made um, in terms of products out on the marketplace um, that either weren't getting made at all locally or um, if they were available, weren't being made um, at a caliber that people were maybe um, hoping for or expecting. So we kind of um, were looking around and finding out where we could kind of um, dovetail in with some of those low-hanging fruit opportunities. And um, for us, you know, a black bean burger, a veggie burger was kind of commonsensical because all the ones out there throughout the course of the late 90s and early 2000s had um, anyone that was doing anything that was relatively meaningful um, at scale got bought up by Kraft and Kellogg's and ConAgra and stuff like that. So there was um, not much going on there. Um, And what I also realized was that not a single restaurant nor any farm um, that had a kitchen was using their kitchen to capacity. So it seemed like a natural... Thing, like instead of trying to just like have all these um, little pockets of people trying to create something from scratch, to just kind of approach things a little bit more collaboratively. And so in that same breath, that's kind of the undercurrent philosophy that we try to do with every aspect of the business. Like no kitchens being used to full capacity, no no harvest even of any single crop is used to full capacity. So we use we place standing orders for you know all the seconds that certain farms can generate and try to come up with efficient means of um, you know, keeping those coming in each week and making sure that we're not overwhelmed, but at the same time that we take as much as possible um, and try to make it um, give a fair market price for those seconds so that we're able to get a deal on local organic produce that's competitive with stuff that would be conventional through a generic distributor and meanwhile, we're also able to help boost the per acreage economic yields of um, the growers that we work with. And um, and then in that same breath, you know, early on, the farm that I was working at, um, Boardman Hill Farm in West Rutland, gave us the opportunity to both grow some of what we wanted to on his land and use of his tractor and all this stuff, but as well as access to a kitchen that we were able to modify and make a viable commercial kitchen. And in that same breath, we tried to make that synergistic, and because we weren't um, much with cash, we did have more time than money, so I traded um, for my rent. I would set up his Friday farmers market for him, you know. So over the course of the month, that was saving him hundreds of dollars in labor, um, and we paid our propane bill. Um, 
and stuff like that. But we, we kind of just had an open conversation and talked about what we could do and um, find ways to work around what we couldn't do. And that kind of extended into my personal life, too, to where I realized I wasn't really on the fast track to um, a, a cash-intensive um, livelihood. You know, I wasn't on Wall Street, so I made sure that over the past few years that um, my lifestyle kind of honored the pragmatic restrictions that the path that I was on um, dictated. Basically, I wasn't going to make a lot of money, so I wanted to make sure that I could live a life where I didn't need to spend a lot of money and could really enjoy myself in the process. I also realized that I wasn't going to be able to spend as much time in the fields as I wanted to, so I made sure that um, I could, at least in the background in my home life, spend time learning from the soil because um, I didn't want to forsake the years that I was growing the kitchen side of things and completely become disconnected from the soil. So I spent the last few years um, on different farms doing work trade for those farms for a place to stay. And as such, I've only I've been able to only spend you know a couple thousand dollars over the course of years um, on rent, which translates directly to money that I was able to leave in bean crafters. Um, so that from a cash flow perspective, we didn't need to take on um, any large amounts of debt to get to where we are now. Um, so we were able to grow at a faster rate and with a better um, debt-to-income ratio than most other small enterprises that I've seen try to make it. So far, so good. So that was, that, Opportunities, that was, that was, What's next? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we've been at this. We're in our fourth year, and we've doubled our gross each year, which more fun than thinking about doubling our gross is doubling the amount of um, pounds of food from the local soils that people have been eating. And so we're at a point now where I'm really psyched where when I stop and think about it, there's actually people that I never get to meet, literally hundreds of them sit down and eat stuff that we've played a hand in bringing together, and that feels really good. And so looking forward, um, I'm trying to find ways to kind of take our proof of concept, which I feel like we're just kind of getting to that proof of concept point. We're like, right, this works. People like what we do. It's economically viable what we do. So how can we do it consistently? How can we do it increasingly better? And how can we do things that are more of the same? So So we were just talking about what's next, and I wanted to make sure to remind you about your guidance to give your guidance to those who are thinking in terms of pickle sauce and hot sauce jam and jelly and ginger snap cookies uh, to consider the school system and institutional buyers and maybe reflect a little bit on how that has been a part of your growth strategy and your approach to those kinds of buyers and of course it helps here in Vermont where everything um, comes up roads all the time but uh, go for that maybe for a little while Okay, that was um, I think I understood you to you want me to speak to a little bit about the focus on um schools and institutional buyers and us focusing on that, right? Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. So um when I so there's a pragmatic level and a and a value based level to us focusing on um institutions. One is um the amount of energy it goes into setting up a new account and forming a meaningful relationship um, isn't that much different from an independent grocer to, um, I don't know, uh, 
um, really dangerous and um, a potential from a food safety standpoint, a liability standpoint. And it's just like, it's just too complicated. Let's just put beans and put them up and some strong fresh. You know, you still got to drop the temperatures fast and all, but it's real easy to do that. So, um, trying to always default towards collaboration and also the simplest possible means of um, getting people to keep the stuff that's worth eating uh, has this um, this point of just aggregating into a viable business somehow. So we haven't got much time left, and I want to make sure that you don't forget to remind all of our listeners um, who are waiting on their hands and just panting with excitement to get out of New York City where they're listening to this podcast and up to Vermont to attend your upcoming fiesta. So to let us have oh, right it on. in not very, not very many too long. Okay. Yeah, so May 27th, Memorial Day weekend at no time in Lake Vermont, we're putting on an heirloom bean and wine pairing. On great, great and bean pairing. Um, it's going to be a lot of music. Um, four heirloom bean pairings with four different wines, some local, some from within your ever met in Italy. And uh, I think it's the first time this sort of thing's ever happened. And our mutual good friend, Ripley is going to be making some art. There'll be some epic silent auction stuff that include art and local food offerings. Um, and hopefully it'll be an annual event and hopefully you guys can get part of the inaugural version of this event. Oh, and... I'm coming! I'm coming! I'm so excited! And all proceeds basically are going to funnel directly into the equipment um, that we need to bring the stable food economy and Vermont to the next level. That's kind of the idea. So... Again, going through that base model, it's giving like community an opportunity to vote with their feet and their dollars and their taste buds for um, stuff that's worth having in the agricultural system. And one last plug also for the Solstice Party at the Keysville Grange. Keysville Grange, that's one of the six granges of the Adirondacks. It's actually the most beautiful one. It's built out of granite stone on the hill above the Osable River right across from a factory that makes horse nails or used to make horse nails where Eric Andrews of the Vermont Sale Project will be making a presentation there about the Vermont Sale Project, which those of our loyal listeners, we had a lot of good feedback about his interview. And hopefully Joe will be there. Ripley will definitely be there. Okay. Lots of things. Check it out. Um, I just posted the invitation to the blog today. So thank you all for a great Radio, and I'll see you next weekend, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it, Simon. Thanks, Ron, and have a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.